0: Tony? Hello. Tony, is, is that William? you? It is me. Hi yeah, uh-huh. how you doing, man? I'm good. Is this William? Yes, it is. Okay, how are you, bud? I I'm doing well. Um now have you ever listened to the show?
1: Yes, I have. Um I listened oh. a couple of times. Most recently the one with um Val John Jeffers.
0: Okay, well, I'm, I'm going to do a quick intro, and then we'll just jump right into our, our conversation. How's that sound?
1: It sounds fine. Sounds great.
0: All right. Do you have any questions? Uh, how long are we going to talk? We're we're going to talk for officially it's two hours, but it's not going to seem like that to you.
2: <laughs>
0: <Okay>. <laughs> Tony, everybody freaks out when if and when Jarvis tells them that it's a two-hour show. But I will be very, very honest with you. There has been nobody who has felt that it's been particularly onerous in time unless they had some other engagement they had to go to.
2: Gotcha. I'm really kind of,
0: I've done this enough. Well, shoot, you've done it enough.
1: Yeah, I have, but not for two hours by
0: myself. Trust me. If, if it really gets bad, let me know. Let me know. But I, I don't think it will. First of all, you're so damn interesting.
1: <laughs> well, I do have a lot to talk about, so um, right. you know we should have a lot of fun.
0: And, yeah, and you know I'm, I, uh, you know, if I ever have the good fortune to grow up, I want to be just like you. Okay.
1: Oh man, when I grow up, I want to be like me
0: too. Oh, okay. All right. Well, uh, hang on. Let me just do this intro, and then we'll jump right in, okay? Okay. <clears throat> All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Genesis Science Fiction Radio Show, a service of the com website. My name is William Hayashi. I'll be your host tonight. This is the December 7th, 2018 edition, and being um, probably one of the, four, the, the foremost Japanese Negroes in media, this is normally a national holiday for me. Um, I do celebrate Pearl Harbor Day. My dad did. It's been a long-standing tradition for the Japanese half of my family. But we have such an, in, you know, an exciting guest tonight that I, I just couldn't pass it up. Um, and uh, I, I hope you stick around for the whole show. Tonight we have uh, Tony. Tony, how do you? Is your last name Regusters? Uh,
1: that is correct. You win the Regusters Family Award.
0: Okay, and and he is coming to us. Uh, you're you're somewhere on the East Coast if I'm not mistaken, right?
1: Yes. Um I'm living in Baltimore now, but uh lived and uh worked in Washington DC for over 30 years, William.
0: Wow. Well, welcome to the show and and seriously, thank you for doing this. I know that sometimes it's tough to get get time away on a Friday night, you know, People do a lot of things on Friday nights, so I'm, I'm very grateful for you to take the time out to, uh, to join us.
1: Well, I was very pleased and honored uh, that Jarvis uh, invited me, and I'm looking forward to my discussion with you and uh,
0: things that we're going to chat about and cover. Well, thank you very much. And for, for those of you who don't know anything about Tony, just try doing a Google search with his name. And uh, you know, oh, oh, you know what? Let me just look. Google says hmm. that there's only twenty three thousand five hundred results for your name. Now, of course, it's not all <laughs> you, but that's still pretty damn good.
2: <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> wow. Oh
0: man, but 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 Tony's like a, a quadruple quintuplet, you know? Threat. I mean, you're a producer, you're a writer, you're you're a media person. Um, you, you've, you've had experiences in all kinds of fields and things like that um, and and you're not like me you know you're not uh, you don't look as old as I am, but um, you know it, it's kind of it's pretty cool the amount of things that you've done um, and w- which leads me to, to kind of wonder where, first of all, where did you grow up
1: Well, um, <clears throat> thank you for that, that intro I, I, I have a very blessed. And storied career, and you know, has some really wonderful experiences uh, to talk about in, in that regard. But I was born and raised in the city of Philadelphia. Um, had a, a Catholic school education there. Um, went to Temple University. Uh, transferred um, to Howard University, um, and uh, that was after um, a stint. Uh, During the Vietnam era, when I'd been drafted and served in the military, I was a military policeman on a nuclear missile base in South Korea. Wow. And that's actually where I started writing science fiction around 19 years old uh, when I was on that missile base. Um, It's around 1968, 69, uh, as an MP there. Um, Isolated place uh, deep in the mountains of South Korea, uh, about Maybe 50 miles from DMZ, and uh, I don't know. Maybe it was the proximity to those, you know, massive, super destructive weapons, or, or maybe just the isolation, William. But uh, I started writing, and sending letters home to friends back in the states with uh, little short stories that I'd write, and drawings, and uh, I'd add little science fiction themes to my stories, uh, to the letters. And I actually wrote one story called The Tar Baby. Now, this was well ahead of the book by uh, our uh, beloved, <laughs> pun intended, I guess, uh, author Toni Morrison. Um, and my story um, called The Tar Baby was about a young black man in the deep south who falls in love with a mysterious woman who captures his soul the way Brer Rabbit uh, from the Aesop's <laughs> favorite tales, did getting caught in tar well I sent the synopsis of that story to the great James Baldwin and uh, some months later I'd forgotten all about it I received a letter um, from him encouraging me to keep at it and uh, what a you know just a incredible moment for me as a young soldier to receive something from one of my literary and cultural heroes James Baldwin just incredible Um, absolutely yeah, yes, man. So, um, however, I fell in love with a beautiful sister I met in college, and like the tar baby that I wrote about, um, I became a family man and um, focused on supporting my family and became a television news writer and producer in Washington, D.C., working in TV news, which really helped me to own, to hone, rather, um, my writing skills, but my dream of being an actual creative writer a science fiction writer, um, most particularly, was absolutely put on hold. Years later, um, you know, after I retired about uh, six years ago from actual TV news production and the business of media, which you outlined and included some years as an advertising salesman at Essence Magazine in New York, producing and writing for CNN's Washington Bureau. Uh, creation of the Teen Summit show at BET, um, one of the positions and jobs that I'm most proud of, Um, work in Africa, producing uh, for CNN International, and uh, after retiring, I finally found time to turn my mind back to my world dream of writing science fiction, and just in time to ride the wave of this newly emerging cultural phenomenon that we call Afrofuturism and uh, so pleased that uh, with my first really polished short story uh, the emissary uh, it became my first ever published piece appearing in Genesis Two, the anthology of black science fiction published by the black science fiction society so here we are, and now i 'm talking to you on the radio program, Genesis, and uh, just so pleased to be with you and we 're going to make this two hours really interesting and exciting and explore a lot of different ideas and concepts and uh, I'm looking forward to our discussion
0: well first of all let let's, let's actually um, uh, uh, rewind because you know you, you said you you started writing in in korea what what about? you know your early life i mean what kind of influences did you have mm-hmm. i mean it, it sounds like you you know you, you wrote from kind of a cultural perspective you know that's what tar baby sounds like but yes. what what were the kinds of influences you had when you grew up i mean for me it was you know some of the earlier tv um you know uh the, the original outer limits the uh uh, oh, even as, uh, even the regular serials. You know, Mission Impossible—that was almost like science fiction. You know, the the the, yes. the really cool Saturday morning cartoons. So, I mean, that's what what kind of was my baseline influence. What was yours?
1: Well, um, pretty much uh, along the same uh, path as as yourself, and so many people who are really interested in science fiction, fantasy, and and uh, different kinds of stories, movies, TV shows, and, and tales in that genre. Um, I began reading science fiction um, when I was in a parochial school in Philadelphia. You know, we had book assignments, and one of those was uh, uh, some books by H.G. Wells, The Time Machine, and uh, and uh, also mm-hmm. Jules Verne's uh, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, which was a pretty ponderous book that lay on an eighth grader um, at that time. But uh, we didn't have all the distractions that we have now in terms of digital media, you know, where you can just hit a button like you did a moment ago and, you know, find out 23,000 things about an individual. Um, (laughs) (laughs) As a kid, uh, I always wondered, you know, reading these stories, um, you know, and looking around at uh, the, the rich diversity of the city that I grew up in and, and other cities that I visited where I had relatives such as New York and, uh, and uh, up in Connecticut where my family uh, lived as well. You know, what happened to the black people? Why aren't we in any of these stories? This now, mind you, this is in the 1950s, um, mid-1950s through the um, early 1960s. And I always wondered, William, well, you know, what the heck happened to the black people? Were we all genocided, were we destroyed, were we left behind to struggle for some kind of existence on a polluted planet Earth while all the white people went out and populated the stars?
0: You know, I mean, I found that
1: very disturbing as a teenager, and this was during the Civil Rights era, the, the, the dawn, so to speak, of the Civil Rights era in the 1950s. And, uh, you know, that nascent um, uh, dawn, of Of civil rights and human rights, um, you know, being of that baby boomer generation that was really open to change and futuristic uh, thoughts and ideas and communicating across racial barriers with other people and and having them communicate across the same with you, you know you're still kids, but you know you're you're sharing ideas and sharing a worldview and uh, I thought that well, there are no black people in the future. What in the heck happened to us? Where do we go?
0: Well, you know, Richard Pryor kind of answered that. Uh, his 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 one line, which I, I will never forget, was, you know, the reason why we aren't in any of those, those movies and, you know, TV shows up until Star Trek was because they didn't plan for us to be there. <laughs> <You know>? Right. <laughs> I mean, yeah. and, and the way he said it, you know exactly how he said it yeah man
1: and uh, and that's exactly that was exactly the underlying thought that I had the undercurrent yeah. which you know even then um you know as as a kid 13 14 15 years old um and the civil rights movement was happening and the black Panthers were being exposed to the world and Malcolm X was talking you know, science fiction and all of those social influences really kind of radicalized me without me really knowing that that's what was happening. And the science fiction that I write and that I focus on myself, which we can talk about later, um, really espouses and platforms that same kind of thinking.
0: Yeah, I grew up in the, uh, the, the University of Chicago neighborhood in, in, uh, in Chicago. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, hugely, hugely mixed neighborhood. I mean, it was, there was no other community like it across America. Um, mm-hmm. And, and we, we figured that out because uh, the, the high school I went to, it was called Kenwood High School. It opened up kind of on the south side there. Um, and we were probably the most studied high school sociologically in the entire nation because we had a completely mixed Student body, uh, various classes from working class all the way to, you know, children of Nobel Prize winners. As a, for a while there, uh, the University of Chicago had the highest number of Nobel Prize winners per capita of any place in the in the world, and and we didn't have riots, we didn't have um, we didn't have the racial strife. That is not to say, I mean, obviously, two of the most famous gangs of that era came out of, you know, that that. It, that south side area of Chicago, you know, the Blackstone Rangers and the Disciples. Yeah, they're,
1: and yeah both of them. I heard of,
0: we heard about them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, you know, I I was lucky. I mean, y- you got yours from a, a, you know, a Catholic school upbringing. My dad was a science fiction fanatic, and he had practically everything written in the golden age of science fiction in, in his study. You know, he mm. had all of that there, so that's how I started on, you know, my my journey to like science fiction. I think, if I'm not mistaken, one of the first movies I ever saw in the theater was uh, *Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea*. My dad took me to see mm-hmm. that. Okay. And I and and I, then you know, uh, I I'll just tell you this, and we'll get 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 back on track, but. I watched the Outer Limits, the original Outer Limits. I couldn't yeah. not watch it. I mean, it was fascinating. It just it it blew my mind. And there was I, I used to watch it. Let me tell you how I watched it. I had my blanket and I would get under the liquor cart to watch the T V so that nothing sneaked up on me and came and grabbed me while I was watching the outer limits. <laughs>
1: you didn't want those zanti to come sneaking up on you, huh? <laughs>
0: that, you know, dude, that is the nightmare that I had for like 20 years after I saw that show. And it got to the point where when those anti-little misfits would show up in my dream, I would just say, F it, and and wake up. I would just wake myself Uh up because they scared the, you know, what out of me. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, it sounds like we had a lot of the same kind of influences Um, Absolutely. Along the way, Um, now, did you? What about the writing part? Did you write in school, other than you know, other than for like classes, you know, composition and things like that? But did you have a penchant for writing when you were coming up through through school?
1: Well, the nuns told me that I was an excellent writer, um, but I was also an artist. I loved to draw to illustrate. I was a really fine illustrator, and um, I. been, I should have been doing my studies in class, but uh, there were some classes that were extremely boring to me. And what I would do is sit there, uh, pretend that I was listening to the nun, but I'd be drawing little cartoon series with panels and everything. You know, I was a big Mad Magazine fan in those days, and some of the illustrators, cartoon illustrators from Mad Magazine were just so excellent. And, uh, you know, I followed that uh, that style the Will Eisner style and different people of that genre and um, you know really had a great time in class just kind of disappearing from what I should have been paying attention to and creating these little um, episodes (laughs) hand-drawn which I would then sell to different kids for a quarter so I would write and draw and these, all, the, all my stories had these little science fiction um, kind of spiritual themes running through them. Sure. And it would only be like yeah. one, one page, like eight and a half by 11, you know, divided into uh, uh, maybe six, six different frames. And, uh, you know, and so I would reproduce that by tracing uh, the material, and then I would sell them to the kids, and they would love it. You know, so I started this was in the seventh grade being an entrepreneur you know and a science fiction um, horror story uh illustrator you know so
0: that's where it yeah. really
1: began.
0: well, let me ask you this you know because of the way you drew did um because a lot i've talked you know i've interviewed i've got almost six years of interviews you know podcasting mm-hmm. and whatnot of of, of creatives. Did did comic books play much of a role in, in you know, what you were getting into? It sounds almost like you jumped right into books, you know?
1: Yeah, I, I was a voracious reader. and um, mm-hmm. loved to read, spent a lot of time reading. I would just, you know, aside from the social life that you have as a kid, as a teenager, you know, that's a whole different kind of thing. But when I was home, um, you know, and after curfew and you got to be in and whatever. You know, I spent all of my time reading, except when The Twilight Zone, yeah, Limits came off, of course. Um, right, But, yeah. yes, I, I did a lot of reading, and comic books were a major force for me. I had this, the most incredible collection of comic books. I wish I had some of those today. Um, I don't know if you remember Tommy Tomorrow, That comic book. Yes.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah.
1: That was one of my favorites: Um, Bizarro, Superman, Aquaman, uh, Batman, um, the Green Lantern, uh, the Man from Mars, um, and uh, later on when Marvel started jumping in, you know, the X-Men and the Hulk and all of those, all of those folks. But by that time, I was, you know, I was in my late teens and uh, uh, early 20s and kind of fading away from um, the more commercial comic books and, you know, became a little bit more worldly and got into um, uh, comic illustrated um, epic comic books like uh, Heavy Metal, uh, which I loved so much.
0: Now, I do have to ask a question, though, okay. Um, did you like the heavy metal comic books because there were naked breasts? Be honest. <laughs> um,
2: well, I've seen enough of those. <laughs> I've
1: seen enough of those as a uh, a curious, all-American, red-blooded guy. Um, not okay. Not to, uh, to be so turned on by, you know, an illustrated breast um, as yeah. opposed to one that was actual, you know, reality-based, yeah. real-time. Do you know but what blew answer, my mind? The
0: short answer oh, is uh, yes. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> what What blew my mind, you know, and, and I, I make no bones about the fact that, yes, I'm half Japanese, but, but, man, I look at the comics that, like, they read on the bus and the train over there, and they are <laughs> adult comics. I mean, with full-on illustrated sex and things like that. And that just kind of blew my mind that that was, you know, a – a regular kind of accepted mainstream kind of entertainment there. So um, it, it just goes to show you because, you know, when you look at their society, it's a little more repressed. It's different. It's very different from ours. You know, the culture is different. But, yeah, I I, uh, I liked heavy me- the heavy metal comics, too. I had uh, someone who lived just a few doors down from me in our little square of townhouses in Chicago, and he okay. was a comic book collector. I mean, he, he, he would get just about everything, and uh, he was one of the few divorced uh, kids of a divorce, mm-hmm. and so his dad would buy him everything. You know how that goes, you know? Okay. Okay yeah so so I spent a lot of time over at his place reading his you know when i I couldn't afford you know every month to get the 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 nine different comics I wanted to get but they they were influential for me too, but I never thought of them like you because I never had the art- you know I never was artistic enough to draw. I didn't think of it as that kind of outlet, so i mean I mm-hmm. think that's pretty cool because when I talk to to people who are artists you know, it's like they pick up a crayon at the age of two and then they never look back. And it sounds like Perfect. you yeah. – I mean, entrepreneurial at, in seventh grade, man, you know, that's yeah. just badass. You know, that's pretty
2: cool.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, some of my friends from that era still talk about that today. I mean, when, when we get together up in Philly, we have little reunions at a friend's home or something, and they say, remember those cartoons that Tony used to do, man? you know, and sell them for a quarter, man, you were just something else, man. I wish I still had some of those, me, personally, you know, just to see what the heck I was doing because, you know, it was just so much fun. Um, but I think that I I lost a lot doing those classes by not paying attention, you know. Um, yeah. I did my homework and did my reading at home, so, I, you know, I was always able to be a good student.
0: Well, see, that's where you and I differed. I, I, I was the guy whose desk was always stuck up next to the teacher's desk. Okay. No <laughs> that's, that's right. That's, but, but I think, you know, I, I came by it honestly. I came by it honestly because now, you know, all these years later, I realize that um, obviously school didn't push me. You know, it didn't push me at all. It wasn't that interesting. Um, When I think about how many of my dad's books got confiscated because I would be reading his sci-fi books instead of you know, I I didn't hide it as well as you that I wasn't interested. And it's kind of hard to do when you're sitting right next to the teacher. um, Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I I never would have gotten away with what you got away with. So my hat's off to you, man. Now when you came out of the war, or when you when you came out of the service, yes. did you kind of lose track of the creative part? You kind of, I think you intimated that, but, I mean, what did you go into, like, right out of the service?
1: Um, yeah, well, that's where everything changed for me. You know, um, when I was in the military, um, some military policemen, as I mentioned, had a top-secret clearance on this nuclear missile base, um, when I came out of the service, um everybody was trying to get me to become a police officer or to re-enlist and go to officer candidate school or whatever, I had no intentions, you know, no desire whatsoever, again, to have a gun in my hand under any circumstance. Right, right. Um, so um, well, I went into, I, I, I saw an advertisement in the Philadelphia Inquirer newspaper, they were looking for clerical workers for the advertising department in the newspaper. And uh, this was right around the time when the um, civil rights movement had really kind of, you know, crescendoed. Dr. King had already been uh, murdered. Uh, Bobby Kennedy had been murdered. Um, our world was a completely weird, strange place. And um, my focus was on getting ahead and going to school, going, getting into college. And I um, had the GI Bill for that so I could do that when I was ready to do it but I uh, applied for and was accepted as a clerk in the advertising department of the Philadelphia Inquirer newspaper. And that's where I learned everything there is to know about advertising. I I was uh, one of the clerks that served and serviced the advertising salesmen for the newspaper, would talk to their clients, um, would um, uh, – Talk with uh, people in graphics for the different uh, advertising agencies. Uh, had to learn the language to speak to them and understand what they wanted, and be able to translate that for our people at the newspaper, so that the ad had everything it needed to uh, to be in terms of satisfying the client, um, the, which included me editing uh, the copy for the ads. Uh, uh-huh. Then I would assigned to the entertainment pages, and that was really big time because I started working for the local distributors for Disney, um, for Paramount, for Fox, um, um, you name it, and, uh, and getting in touch with the local people at advertising agencies in the Philadelphia market who represented those um, movie makers, and that's where I really got the fascination to want to somehow make my way into... Um, broadcast media and motion pictures and so it all began in the Philadelphia Inquirer, and um, me working as a clerk in the advertising department I became a advertising salesman um, went on to work uh, in broadcast at uh, two radio stations three radio stations in Philadelphia WHAT AM which was an B station WWDB FM which was a jazz station And WMMR-FM, which was a hard rock underground station, and uh, everybody was coming through, and if if there was anybody who was famous in uh, rock, uh, and they came through Philadelphia from Janis Joplin to you name it, uh, they came through that station for interviews and you know, I got to meet and hang out with all kinds of really interesting incredible people and uh, that just propelled me into a whole nother atmosphere of of Life and and career and world view and it all began mm-hmm. as a little clerk clerical job at the Philadelphia Inquirer um, went on to um, to do so much in that world um, including uh, an advertising uh, account executive uh, position at Essence Magazine in New York. Um, I became the um, advertising director, uh, the youngest um, advertising director of a national magazine uh, coming out of New York City um, uh, called Encore Magazine. Um, And uh, that kind of made me kind of famous. I still had my military chops. So, you know, I wasn't afraid to talk to anybody about anything. And I was, you know, I was assertive rather than aggressive. And, um, you know, I knew how to talk to people. I was very persuasive. And I was very creative um, in my sales pitches. Um, there was one sales pitch that I did um, at Gray Advertising, and I was told that the woman who was in charge of media there was just a, a royal queen, and you couldn't, uh, you know, she would smoke a cigarette and read through her tally sheets while you'd be talking with her. And so I was hearing this from other advertising salesmen. So I figured, you know, like Tony, how are you going to break through and get to this woman? So I put my creative cap on and i went out and bought this hand puppet of a tiger and i had a flip chart presentation and we didn't have any kind of digital you know anything related to a laptop they weren't even anywhere in reality at that time everybody was still using uh ibm instamatic typewriters and sure. um so i went in uh talked to the woman you know um and she went into her cigarette puffing thing and you know i was doing my little flip chart and then i i changed my voice and i said all right i want to really get your attention now and she looked up at me like what is your effing problem (laughs) and she saw this hand puppet (laughs) at the edge of her desk and me talking with the hand puppet you know not ventriloquist but i captured her attention William. and then i had the hand puppet do the rest of the presentation she said stop 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 i want my staff to come in here and see this she called her whole entire media staff in there to watch me do this presentation for essence magazine with this little hand puppet and i absolutely got that account
0: you know that's that's OK, there's two things that I think of immediately when you do that. First of all, obviously, you're, you're, you've got creativity up the you know, the wazoo. But the other part that I don't think people realize is back then, in order for you to distinguish yourself being a black man in business during that, that yeah. time period, you had to be prepared to do twice as much to get half the credit. You know, Absolutely. and, and people go, "Oh, that's just a cliche," and I go, "No, no, that's not a cliche. That's reality." No. Absolutely. So, so for you, plus you're an, you were an overachiever. You know, you obviously didn't have the sense of a houseplant working for three different radio stations at one time. No. <laughs> I mean, how? But how cool is that? I mean, that's that's how that's how things happen. You know, if you have a creative bent and you know it's not just it's not just oh i can do a, a you know i can i can bust out with a psychotic puppet show or something like that but yeah. i mean when you look when you look at how you were i mean you the kind of entertainment that that entertained you the kinds of things that you were drawn to and and the way you managed to execute your life you know almost you know from obviously from 7th grade you, you had a creative streak that sounds like it wasn't going to be denied. You know what I mean? No, you, you were not yeah. going to let it be tamped down. You weren't going to have somebody tell you, dude, you know, lighten up, you know, what did, what did they say? Uh, Straighten up and fly right? You know, that, yeah, that doesn't seem like that would have been in your nomenclature at all. No.
1: No, no, man. And I, I credit
0: um, three
1: entities for that. Um, one being my parents. Um, okay. Two being, two being um, my education in Catholic school, which infused me with tremendous confidence and a sense of you know, having a, a duty to problem solve, uh, especially in, in the social uh, in the social continuum. And three, uh, my military service, which gave me a deep sense of, no, this is going to happen. I'm going to do it. Never surrender was, you know, my credo. Never surrender, never give up, and uh-huh. never take – no for an answer. Never take no for an answer. Push ahead. And with, and being an MP, I had, um, you know, unusual, an unusual level of authority as a kid soldier. I was only 18, 19 years old. I got out of the military um, when I was 21. And um, by that time, I was, you know, a fully confident young man, um, you know, just ready to take on the world. So I thought. Yeah
0: well and and that kind of personality you know um, it, it's a i think it's a little harder to to obtain that kind of um self awareness today because our society is so different um, and and the things that that motivate mm-hmm. people are not are not necessarily internal anymore
2: too yes. much
0: of what motivates people is external it 's not you know, and then and then the other thing is, I think about your Catholic school upbringing. You know, Catholic school has taken a, a kind of a beating in terms of what it represents to our culture, and and you know, the Catholic Church has taken a beating, and rightfully so. Um, yes, absolutely. But, but but people don't realize that at, during that time, let's say from from post World War II up until I would say easily up until maybe maybe 1980. A Catholic school education was probably more comprehensive than you could get at most any other school. You know, in terms of you know just a a broad, uh, you know, a broad classification. Yes, there were obviously much better individual schools out there, but a Catholic school education was a good classical education, which exposed you to um, uh, I guess the the gestalt of culture in a way that you know oftentimes public school did not, and I think part of that had to do with you know funding, that had to do with uh, regimentation, that had to do with a lot of things. But you you yes. had you you so did right. have some pretty cool things happen to you that I think contributed to the fact that you know you're you're just short of psychotic in your creativity and i don't mean that in a bad way at all i mean you you understand what i'm saying right
1: yes i do and and i'm nodding my head yeah 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 okay i can i can roll with that uh, because you have to be i i feel that if you really are a creative person um that you are walking a razor's edge between um Uh, conservative intellectuality um, and just um, the most insane kinds of thoughts and ideas and concepts that any human being could ever come up with and somewhere if you're able to walk that razor's edge you're able to bring both of those um, different worldviews together and create something that attracts People's attention and interests, and hopefully can enrich you um, not only materially but in terms of your own sense of self and your own sense of making something that's going to last and 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 in a way make you immortal. You know, I mean, if you're a creative person, part of what drives you is a sense of you know, immortality. I'm going to leave something. It's going to be a legacy. It's going to be a heritage piece. And kids or people in the 23rd century, in the 30th century, will be talking about me the way they talk about they talk about Da Vinci or Isaac Asimov or even now in our own time, Octavia Butler. All these legendary people. That's what we strive for, even unconsciously. As creative people, we want to be remembered. We want to give excellence we want to provide something that touches the mind of the heart if you will where true our true selves lie and sit on a throne that says this is who I am nobody knows who I am except me and this is what I want I like what this person is doing I like this movie I like this book because it reflects my concept of who I am
0: well and and if if I want to, if I would put kind of a even a, a a more intellectual spin on it when you look at um, people like you I like to think people like me but a lot of my well I'll, I'll explain that later but but people like you um we don't see much of that these days I mean if we sit here and we say to ourselves okay who under forty do we see who is both has both left brain and right brain accomplishments that are recognizable it's not it's not as common because i i think and and I think part of that goes back to that classical education or mm-hmm. you know the experiences that we had in another era that we don't have today
2: okay yes.
0: um, you have you have you have schools right now that accept papers from students that use texting nomenclature. Yeah, you know, that's, that's a right. WTF moment for me, you know. Yeah. Or, or, or yeah. you have schools that are not teaching cursive because everybody needs to have keyboard skills. You know, yeah. uh, what if you become famous with your stupid-ass keyboard skills like Mrs. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Mrs. Uh, Fifty Shades of Grey who did her, her book on her BlackBerry. Okay, yeah I, I have to admit, doing a book on a Blackberry using only two thumbs, okay, that's good, even though it was a crappy-ass book. But, But seriously... You know the things that you and I were forced to do—penmanship. Uh, you know the mm-hmm. the kind of diagramming sentences. You you can ask a kid <laughs> in high school today to diagram a sentence, they they go, well, well, what? What do you mean? Do I draw? You know, if a train leaves New York at fifty-five yeah. miles an hour, do I draw the train and the tracks? Is that what you're talking about? Right. I don't know you. Yeah. You know. So yeah, so yeah. It, unfortunately. <laughs> You, you, and 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 me—we were raised in a bygone era. Okay, it's gone, really? and it's and gone, I think man. that I think that our culture is suffering, and it's certainly not doing our kids any good. Okay, no. it's not no. doing them any good at all. No. And um, so I mean, I, I I wasn't joking when I said that. You know, you you have you know you're like a quadruple or quintuple. Threat, but I think that that's just basically the uh the result of just having a broad range of experiences, a broad range of core competencies, and then following you know your your own notions because something got interesting to you. Would that be fair that's to not, say
1: yeah absolutely uh, that's totally on point point. Um, and you know I continue one of the things that I always tell people, you know, especially when I talk to students um, about my career in media, uh, all the things that I've done, whether it's been for production or the business of media, which is marketing and advertising, um, is that no matter who you are or who you become, never lose your seat in the audience, because once you do, you become institutional. And once you become institutional, you have to flow within the steel and concrete parentheses imposed by that institution. You don't know what people out in the real world are thinking. you know, And that's one of the big problems with politics today, for example. We have so many people who are in uh, positions of political leadership who haven't got a clue what real people, actually need what their needs are, you know, and they can't address those because their heads are so far in the clouds and their demographic is so, so far beyond uh, working class, middle class, uh, upper middle class, even, even some upper class people. That they don 't know how to relate, you know all they know how to relate to is the acquisition of more power and the acquisition of money, which helps them to get more power. Meanwhile, our country is fading away, um, we 've become a laughing stock of the world, rightfully so, and uh, people 's heads are just spinning uh, to the point where um, there 's tremendous anger in the country right now, and I see that reflected in the way people relate to one another and and in social media you have people cursing each other out you know acting out in ways they would never do if you were face to face but you know if you're five thousand miles away from me i can call you a mother effer, and you can call me a visit and um and we just block each other but in real life you know you can wind up dead and so we
0: or it's 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 worse than that because that person calling you the mf -er or whatever they could be in the next building or the next house over and you would never know.
1: I would never know.
0: Because I think anonymity has definitely contributed to the poor behavior and the bad acting that's going on because people can do really, uh, sorry Jarvis, I'm going to do more than a PG here, can really do (laughs) shitty things to each other Mm -hmm. because they'll never be found out or the chances are they'll never be found out and when you act without consequence when you can do things without consequence people you know people's basest instincts come out because of exactly what you said because of that Mm -hmm. anger and because of frustration and i will tell you i honestly put this down to i think all of this started in 1972 and do you mind if i run this past you because i'm interested to see what your take is I Please think do. all of this started in 1972 when Richard Nixon declared war on the intelligentsia because the mm-hmm. anti-war movement in this country came out of college and high school campuses. That was yes. the last year that our country, that our, that our government, that our, our, our leadership had any kind of commitment to education because it was education was now seen as a threat okay so what do we see how is that reflected in schools all right i'll tell you how it is i took my okay. act and sap in uh, 1972 mm-hmm. Just, no,
2: 1972
0: 1973 all right because i yeah. i graduated in 73 yeah i'm a few years younger than you but in in white people years i'm still 189. um but 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 having said that um when they From 1972 until 2008, which was the last year that I checked because I was actually doing a study for um, an organization, the the indices for the ACT and the SAT were revised downward 16 times. Okay? Mm. When you have an uneducated populace, you have a very easily led populace. That's right. Because I don't think that they're exposed to any... Any training, any classes these days in critical thinking? We don't have social studies. We don't. We don't teach cause and effect. And honest to God, man, I think this is the basis for for the gross deterioration of us as a society.
1: I mean, what do you Absolutely. think? I totally agree. Um, the dumbing down of America is a thing. Um, it really did happen. Um, people thought that was just kind of a little you know, passing catchword, um, catchphrase, uh, catch but a cliche. Um, yeah, cliche. Thank you. But uh, that actually happened. And we see it now. I am seeing some of the dumbest MFing people in the world on social media right now. It's just so disturbing, not only in social media, but in real time. You know, it's so disturbing, so scary. And I hate what has happened to our country and uh, the people in this country and um you know and we don't have leadership at the moment um, that wants to do anything to help make that better just wants to make it worse you know and yeah. and that's the thing that really just Bugs are living the hell out of me, um, and I express myself. I use my my uh, sense of freedom of speech very well, you know, and I don't hold my tongue or my thoughts. I say what I think needs to be said, and that's part of the journalist in me, you know. But it's also that guy in you know the the military who uh wanted to serve the country and and wasn't going to run off to canada and 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 evade the draft um but because of my sense of duty um and even though that has changed so much since then um that guy is still You know, the atom of that guy is still in me. And I have a very good sense of what is right and what is wrong. And, um,
0: I will call that,
1: you know, in a minute.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay, then, then that leads me to the big question for the night. Um, obviously, we're kindred souls. You know, we, we've we had a lot of the same experiences, and we certainly have very, very similar perspectives. So what happened with the two of us dumbasses who decided hmm. to be authors when people quit reading? <laughs> <laughs> What the is wrong with you, boy? Yeah, really? <laughs> you know, that's uh-huh. what I thought about. I thought about that. You know, I wrote my first yes. book in 2001, and even as I wrote it, I was writing out of anger. But then, when I thought about it, it's like, well, wait a minute. People aren't reading anymore. What the, you know? What, what? So, I mean, how have you ever even addressed yourself? Yeah, yeah, I have.
1: Yeah. I have. And, and what I came up with uh, some years ago, uh, understanding that. Because one of, one of the courses that I took in college was educational psychology um, with the intention of using th- that coursework to apply to children's educational television. That was a goal of mine. Sure, sure. Um, I was so impressed with Sesame Street when I came out of the Army. You know, I still had that uh, soldier's head, and I still looked at the world around me with a soldier's um, perspective. I saw a lot of waste. I saw a lot of stupidity. I saw a lot of undisciplined behavior. Um, I saw um, the clay feet of our society um, now um, immersed in rushing streams of lava, you know. And and seeing all of this at 21 years old and wondering what in the hell am I going to do to help change any of this, you know. And I, my decision right. was to go into media. Now coming back full circle to the illiteracy of our current um, generations, Um, what I foresaw was that exactly what you just laid out, you know, in terms of the dumbing down of America and people's inability to have a sense of appreciation of literature, classic or any level of it. Um, was to then go into visual media. Um, so I, you know, I, I majored in film and television production, and that's what got me into that business. And I've been very influential as an award-winning producer in television and television, television news and documentary filmmaker, uh, award-winning documentary, Obama in Ghana: The Untold Story, and telling stories. You know, even telling little three minute, two minute stories in a news item um, is a testament to the ability to put words to pictures and that is part of what has driven me now to Really, kind of focused on wanting to make motion pictures. Um, okay, in Afro, Afrofuturist um, in Afrofuturist uh, genres. So um, I, I I hear what you're saying, you know, about us two dumbasses, and I I agree with that. We have to keep on pushing. Um, we get again cannot allow ourselves to be dumbed down, and I find it unacceptable to allow that kind of behavior um, to be in my sphere of life and influence. And I don't allow people to come into my life that do not have that same level of respect for their own intellect.
0: Yeah, and, and the other part of it is, um, it sounds like you do that too. I, I have, at least in the last 15 years or so, have been doing more and more and I don't. Want, I'm not a crusader at all. But I do a, a community outreach in terms of trying to get kids
2: mm-hmm.
0: thinking further or thinking bigger. You know, um, I, I took care of a, a, an elementary school for about 15 years. I did their IT for them basically for free. Um, and and then you know I was teaching you know kids uh, little things about the computers and stuff like that, and they go well. You know, uh, I'm going to be, you know, a kid would say, well, you know, once I get out of uh, the school and I get in high school, I'll be doing everything on my phone. And I said, well, okay, that's fine. Do you know what you're going to do for a job? He says, I don't know. I said, because, you know, you you probably can't be a rapper. Uh, You're probably not going to be Michael Jordan. You're probably, you know, there's a whole lot of things that are popular that you're not going to be able to do. What Mm -hmm. do you think you might want to do? And they go, well, I don't know. And I said, well, let me, let me. let give you something to think about. As an IT guy, I make $250 an hour.
2: Mm-hmm. They are dead
0: mm-hmm. silent. Every time I say that, they're dead silent because nobody ever thinks about that. You know, when people are looking for a job now, they're going, ooh, this one's above minimum wage, or this is this, or this is that. But with just a little bit of training, you can make more than that. And, and the, I want to in, increase – I want them to think bigger. And and the other thing I did was I said you know I write books they're not really mm-hmm. for you because they they've got some older stuff in them oh and the moment you say that they want your book like like right then and there as long as you yeah. the moment you yeah. tell somebody they can't have something <laughs> That's when they want it oh
2: yeah and so That's I want it. every
0: now and then I I do you know seminars on writing or or I'll. I'll sit down if I had to, had to fill in a class. I tell the kids, okay, let's, let's write a real short story. Get on the computer, pull up the word processor, and let's let, write a little short story. And then if I come back tomorrow, if your teacher's not here, let's read them so that everybody can hear what we were all thinking about. Because uh, I think that it's incumbent upon us to, to help make our future consumers of, of our art.
2: yes.
1: That is absolutely the key, and that's something that, um, you know, is a driving point for me. And having a background in marketing, then going into um, uh, the discipline of TV news where everything has to be factual. You cannot put fake news on the air because you'll be called on it, and you'll lose your job. Um, And combining those two things along with now being able to, Actually say that I am a creative person doing creative writing, but having the disciplines which you spoke of, of a classical education and a worldview based on reality, um, to drive those two things into fantasy thinking, magical thinking that has the potential and the possibility of creating civilizations, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah. Which, which actually brings me kind of to my next point, you know when we think about your fictional writing, can you give us some ideas of some of the stories that you 've drafted or crafted, even if they 're somewhat in your head? Um, well, talk about the ones that you published first or anything that you 've got out there because that way people sure. can check you out but then you know i 'm also curious about curious about your your creative process because I don't. I don't get to interview people who are essentially my age, you know. And I know I don't sound that old, but I, I'm old as you know. Um, my voice and my pictures, my <laughs> promo pictures. That's all. That's all Photoshop. But but seriously, uh...
2: <laughs>
0: you know when when what was what was the first creative thing that you published other than than what you sent to um, Baldwin?
1: Um. The first piece that got published was actually the emissary, which um, was received uh, in Genesis Two, the anthology of black okay. science fiction. Okay. Cool. So the story, of the emissary. Um, you know, I like I like looking at actual history and taking historical events and building um, fantastical. Tales around something that is really that really has happened in world history or or our national modern history, uh, current events, and okay, the emissary takes place in the 19th century. Um, it's after it's it's in Washington D.C. Um, Abraham Lincoln is the president, and it's just after the big victory. In Manassas and, uh, and the Union had been getting its ass whooped left and right by the Confederacy um, and this was the first major victory that they'd won the Union had won and um, uh, it, uh, Lincoln is ebullient he's 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 in a very good mood but um, but he's being, he's been visited by uh, abolitionists and people, you know, like Frederick Douglass, who he held in very high esteem, who wanted him to take action to um, free the slaves, being held captive uh, for many generations in the South and places sure. in the North as well. So he's wrestling with these ideas and, you know, um, Um, trying to find a way to compromise, um, but he's leaning toward the no-nopeness of the whole concept, the whole idea of of doing so. Um, One evening, uh, as he's resting in his study, um, a light appears, and um, the angel of the Lord comes to visit him and tells him that he is going to be revered in history for something that he is going to do which involves freeing freeing the Negroes you know you are the one who is who is going to be uh, revered in history for this uh, this work and you know he the entity appears to him in an angelic form but what we learn as the readers and I don't want to give the whole story away is that no no, no the, don't yeah <laughs> this is entirely something different than he is being um, that is being presented to him and um, it's a it's a really excellent story if I say so myself and and um, and I do I have to um, because I was thrilled that the story came through me um, you know and that's the way I look at my creative um, concepts that I am a vessel. Really? Yes, that I'm a vessel to spirit, to ancestors, to those who have yet to be born. And I'm representing them in this time in this space as that pinhead where a thousand angels will dance. And it's my obligation to um, free those angels and let them fly out and infect the readers or the viewers or the listeners with positive a new Powerful, positive sense of self, who they are, who they can be, who their children can be, what they must do to assure that. And I do that with historical writings that are based in science fiction and um, uh, a theological basis and also um, cosmic uh, realms where the gods Mm and demons war over the prize, which is diverting the attention of humanity from its own, the power of of our own souls and the power that we have as living beings who have all of the powers of nature in our minds and in our hearts. And um, we can either listen to the angels or we can listen to the demons. And that's where my stories really kind of, um, gel, you know, it's all about the battles and the wars between good and evil.
0: Sure, it, you know, I I get that. I see that in you, and and that also makes sense, you know, peripherally from you know you coming up through Catholic school and things like that. For me, I I I I like. Well, no, here's what my influences were. My influences were The Twilight Zone and. The Outer Limits, and I only figured this out a year ago, that yes. that's what, that that's how, like, I'm known for both my film work and my writing for having mm-hmm. ironic endings. You know, mm-hmm. an ironic ending is exactly what Twilight. You know, Rod Serling was all about that, and yeah. and so were the producers. Uh, I can't remember the guys Stefano for uh, The Outer Limits. Outer Limits, yeah. About mm-hmm. They were about an ironic ending. And yeah, all of that you know, I, yeah, I have, uh, like, I have a short story that was published in uh, a, a magazine that has a, uh, the first mission that rotates out of our universe. And when they leave our universe to get to the, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, the the nexus of the multiverse, they actually find the creator of all things, what Ooh. we would call God and, okay. and wow. what happens when that happens, you know, mm-hmm. and, and the ending mm-hmm. is ironic. Um, the, the, the trilogy I wrote, and, you know, I'm not trying to just talk about myself, but I'm just trying to give you an idea of how, how warped I am. The,
2: the oh, trilogy, the I,
0: my first trilogy was, you know, what happens in America when the country finds out that black folks have been secretly living on the backside of the moon since before Neil Armstrong got there.
2: You know Woo. those
0: kinds of things and and that was that was a protest right first of all, people like you and me don't exist in america 's lexicon in terms of what are black folks and I know i 'm half Japanese, but still you know even the Japanese side is even worse than that, but there are no middle class upper middle class educated um, even urbane you know normal. Normal people normal american black folks don 't exist you know i 'm not a rapper you 're not a thug i 'm not an athlete you 're not uh, you know all the things that we 're not you 're not oprah i 'm not Michael Jordan you know in terms of you know wealth or or endeavor and the, people yes. like you and i don 't exist in the lexicon and the thing that i i, I do I apologize, I apologize to the people who are listening, but I do say this a lot. But you look at the pushback that Cosby got when he did his last show where he had a black doctor marry a black lawyer and they had teenage kids mm-hmm. who had white problems. You know, yeah. they don't realize that those those blacks do exist. You know, even even Asian families with the same motif because people non white people, you know, non wasps mm-hmm. have the same type of societal imprint.
2: Yes, okay. but you would
0: never hear it in today's media. You would never hear it in today's, uh, I would say, mainstream storytelling. And and so now never you talk about <laughs> mm-hmm. you you talk about wanting to, you know, this cool thing called Afrofuturism. Um, yes. I, I've I've done a lot of discussions and seminars and even workshops along those lines, and people. And, and excuse me if, if this doesn't sit well with you, but for me, Afrofuturism mm-hmm. should not be a movement and is not a movement. Afrofuturism, to me, is normalizing the regular American experience.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, that's you see what I'm saying? That's an interesting Because,
0: view. you know, the same thing for, for the LGBT movement to get yes. let's say more representation in movies television media what have you this is the normalization of what our society really is yes. and the fact that we have to fight so damn hard to get the recognition mm-hmm. of normalcy is, is it, it, it it's it's damaging to our how things psyche. are going on, I think it contributes to the yeah our psyche exactly that contributes to the thing that you were talking about the lack of the, of, of manners, the lack of normal human consideration for your fellow man and yes. and I use man you know in the in the classic sense, I mean woman too, but I mean and so i I write these stories you 're writing these stories, there are about three thousand black. Authors in America right now, Mm -hmm. and and I'm about the only person who knows how many there are, who are writing stories that are are black themed, in order to tell stories that actually exist, but have been ignored that that have been isolated that have been uh, uh, rejected by by the same thinking that you were talking about at the very beginning of the show why there were no black people in science fiction. Right. There's no black people right. on the moon. There's no in in space 1990 or, you know, we had two in Battlestar Galactica. We had one in Star Trek, except for whatever red shirt guy who went down and died in the fir- before the first commercial or, <laughs> or you know, name name your stereotype. But
1: yeah, but you but, know when you what, saw what that red shirt guy, you know he was oh, be yeah. Killed, oh yeah, you know. he, yeah
2: oh, oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah, he's
1: he's he dead. In, 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 in a lot of movies. You know, when the black guy came on, you know, oh, yeah, I'd be sitting in the movie theater, I'd be a kid, right? I say, oh, well, he's gonna die. Watch this, and, and moments mm-hmm, later,
0: mm-hmm. dead. You know, so cannon fodder. And it's not just, you know? yeah, and it's not just science fiction in horror, no. but although horror, horror is justified. Because if, if you or I, we brought a, a, a family, if we had a family and we moved into a house and the house spoke to us, we, yes. we'd move our asses out. We'd leave. Be There'd no, be no story. Be There'd be fun. no movie. No. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I'm <laughs> not wouldn't going be, out in it the, the woods commercial. Yeah, I, I'm not going out to, you know, to a cabin in the woods near a psychiatric hospital where some some guy with an ax just escaped. This is not my vacation plan. You know, this is not a destination no, not. for me.
1: <laughs> <It isn't. laughs> Sorry.
2: Oh.
0: So the when you think about what about,
1: uh, The severed heads were a little too much to take, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah, and, and, you know, oh, or, or how about, oh, the electricity went out, uh, and, and I'm a white girl, let me just go take a shower. How many black folks are going to do that, you know, men or women? If the yes. electricity goes out, are you going to take a shower in the woods? Hell no. Hell no. Oh, hell, hell no. no.
1: And, <laughs> and I've, never seen so many, I've never seen so many people run away from somebody trying to kill them, and, you know, inevitably somebody's going to fall.
2: I ain't oh yeah! Never seen
1: it oh yeah! Your life, you know, and I grew up in in a in a really tough urban city, and um, you know, you had fights break out all the time. You know, Philadelphia is sure. a gang town, like a gang town like Chicago and New York. You know, we had our, we had gangs all over the city, Italian, Polish, Jewish gangs. um, Right. Gangs in our black neighborhoods, of course. And, um, you know, when people ran, they ran. Nobody fell unless somebody jumped on them, you know. That was the only reason. But in every horror movie that I've ever seen, you know, when somebody's running, they always fall. You know, here here comes, fall. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah.
2: And they always get it. So.
0: So yeah, you know, for us for for fighting for representation. You know, Afrofuturism is a great movement and it's 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 really cool that it is segmented out because what it does is it allows us to hold up the genre as as uh, as different and also to to kind of market i mean if if we were if my stories and your stories were embedded in in the regular American literature lexicon or American entertainment lexicon they they wouldn't stand out, so yes, I am sort of thankful for that, but it's mm-hmm. the need it's the need that's such a shame you know um, i will I will say though i see I, I see things on the horizon based upon the generation that's coming up now, uh, the generation of kids that are coming up now, they are less consumed with a lot of that stratified hatred that we're seeing in this country because of this knucklehead we elected president. And mm-hmm. they, are less, they are less likely to put up with it. And so you get phenomenon like, um, like uh, oh, Black Panther and Wonder Woman.
2: You know, yes. how
0: many people went and saw those two movies multiple times because they were different and they were representative and they were, they were normalizing, you know, experiences that happen all the time that we just don't see. You know, there's That's been Africans longer than any other race of people on this planet. Why 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 now do we have some sort of big ass blockbuster more money going to them than anything else? So why why was that a phenomenon? Well, I think people responded to it because not only was it different and it was pretty well done, but also I think one of the things the thing that struck me about Black Panther was the nobility of even the the heavy, you know, the killmonger guy. There was there was still a nobility to him and he still played by the rules.
2: Mm-hmm. They you know, were his own he, rules, he,
0: well, they were rules. That's right. Yeah, but, but when, when he got back to Wakanda, you know, okay, I have to challenge and I have to win. Yeah, he mm-hmm. was kind of skanky, you know, in America, shooting folks, killing folks, stealing stuff. But that's our culture, too. So was he yeah, really doing really. wrong? No, he was working within within American culture. So yeah, Totally within the context
2: then, of American culture.
0: Yeah, and then to see... There was a a meme uh, uh, that went around Facebook a couple years ago, right after Wonder Woman came out, Mm -hmm. and this teacher in first grade was eavesdropping on a bunch of girls who were sitting there who had seen Wonder Woman, and they were deciding who gets what powers so that they didn't have overlap and they didn't interfere with each other. Think about that okay. for six-year-old kids. Mm-hmm. Six-year-old mm-hmm. girls are talking about, well, we're all going to be superheroes, but let's, let's have different powers so we can all do different things. Yeah. I mean, that, that narrative is something that, that I don't think we've seen. I can't remember, you know, first of all, all our superheroes were supposedly guys, white guys, up until a very <laughs> short time ago. And people go, well, Black Panther's been around for X, and, you know, we had, uh, we had uh, uh, you know, I'm so old, I can't remember the other ones. But, uh, oh, no, Spawn wasn't. Well, anyway, and, but, but the fact of the matter is we're seeing a level of societal acceptance by young people that, that hasn't been present before. And I think that's also one of the things that's galvanizing the, the separatists among us, the hate mongers, you know, um, mm-hmm. because what they're seeing is they're seeing a societal decline and they also know in this country whites are due to become a minority in the 2030s. Yes. Okay. That's and, right right and that, yeah, And I think that there's, I mean, Barack Obama really galvanized the panic of of the the, the small minded, you know, nationalists among us, because they thought that their white privilege was was evaporating.
2: Mm-hmm. They thought it
0: was going away. They thought, and and I have to admit, I was thinking that. I was, you know, I was I was a little pissed when he got reelected the second time, and I still didn't have my white slave. I was wondering, well, what the f- what's going on here, you know? But that really? was just me. Um, <laughs>
2: well, I. <laughs> You're you're so good. <laughs> yeah they cheese us but bro.
0: yeah but okay so so given all of all of the things that are happening in our culture um, and and I don't want to bring in you know I don't want to bring in you know the islands or Africa at this point let's talk about American culture when you think about your future writing you know yeah. what do you thematically you know you said yes you're you you think you're a conduit for stories that are that already exist or stories that will be brought to you from the future but mm-hmm. but when you think like that it 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 suggests that you believe that there is a normalization of 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 being of color but not being unique or set apart, or set aside. Is that fair to say? Or you know, I'm not exactly sure how you're characterizing, you know, the yeah, the I, I, think I think the direction think, of your creativity. Go ahead. I'm yeah, I
2: think
1: on. that I think that I think bigger than that. I don't like to um, box myself in. Um, I know that I am an, a child uh, whose DNA is derived from mother Africa, Um, but there are other uh, genetic influences in my bloodstream as well as those, all of us here in this country, we're all interrelated in some respect. Um, So I I write, you know, my focus of storytelling is uh, from an Afrocentric point of view, but my stories, uh, relate to, can relate to anyone. I don't just have Afro uh Afrocentric characters in my stories. I have white people in my stories. I have uh, Asian scientists in my stories um, and astronauts. And um, uh, I'm working on a story uh, now that uh, is a reincarnation story of a samurai killed in battle who's born uh, into a place like Chicago and is a member of a black street gang. You know, so uh, yeah. he has all yeah. these memories of his of his previous life in dreams. They come to him in dreams, and he's strategic in the way he plans gang warfare and all of that kind of thing. So, you know, my view is uh, as you know, I look I look at the world as a human being um, who is in who is in a uh, a, a cosmic bubble driven by the energy of mother Africa, which is the mother of the human race. Um, and so I don't denude my mind or my creative concepts, you know, or limit them to only that, you know, I want to write stories about ancient Greece, you know, and ancient sure. Rome, and how they um, really derived all of what they have, which became Western civilization from ancient Egypt, you know, and, mm-hmm. and from, and from Babylon but we don't get that you know we don't understand that uh, renaissance Europe really was the product of the Moors of Africa you know uh, that in the year 1492 when the Moors were driven out of France Spain and Portugal that was the year that um, the king of Spain and his ministers raided the library at the Alhambra And found all of these maps that helped them to understand that there were ways to get to different places on the planet sailing to places that you've never sailed to before you know yeah so there are stories I heard a story from uh, a Senegalese professor who said that during the time of King Mansa Musa that um, the Africans in on the west coast we're doing trade with the uh indo indio people of, of the west uh, in in the country that the countries that we live in now, here in the Western Hemisphere, you know. Um, so there's, from a historical point of view, that's so rich for me, William. You know, to be able to mine all of that from a historical standpoint and tell these stories and infuse really interesting characterizations, um, whether they're science fiction uh, focused or uh, cosmic fantasy focused or uh, whether I'm dealing with uh, the power of the unseen over uh, a certain individuals that they want to manipulate the way the gods of ancient Greece were said to be able to manipulate human beings in a chess game. You know, so I've taken those kinds of concepts, those kinds of ideas, and turned them into a. Um, this this is how I present my stories. This is the idiom within which I present my stories. They're all about racial memory and time travel through DNA and all kinds mm-hmm. of different ways to, um, uh, you know, focus on uh, the ways that we. Uh, are influenced by the unknown, the unseen, whether from the past, uh, unseen above our heads, invisible, or or from the future, you know, um, and I'm writing now, just completed writing a novel, um, hopefully going to find a publisher soon, uh, called Far Strider, and um, Far Strider, uh, the the name Far Strider is what the ancient Egypt's Egyptians rather uh the people the African uh, Egyptians uh, of Kemet um, called the ascended pharaohs or nobles or priests and priestesses. They called them Far Striders because when they died their souls or their Ka ascended to the heavens they walked across the heavens with the gods thus became far striders and so i have a story about that and it's a story that uh, also involves uh, rebirth and and resurrection and reincarnation at the same time so you you stride across the heavens but you come to a place where you encounter a portal that takes you into another time and you're reborn as a baby in a world that needs you and the knowledge and the spiritual powers of transformation that you are uh, assigned to bring to earth by the gods that you walked across the heavens with Mm -hmm, mm
0: -hmm. mm-hmm I I really like you know your motivation for storytelling, you know, where your base storytelling comes from. Because, you know, it is I, it's, it is similar to what I do. I like to take what is or what was yeah. and put a speculative element to it to explore what could have been or what, what might be at a different level than we can perceive. Is that yeah. fair to say about you?
1: Absolutely, absolutely, and thank you for that. That's a great uh, comparison and um, the connection. Um, for instance, uh, one of my favorite uh, uh, series on Amazon right now is The Man in the High Castle, derived from a classic science fiction um, book. And um, sure. it deals with that those kinds of themes, you know, alternative histories, alternative realities, um, and then the mix and the swirl of those In a real time that is unexpected, you know, and things that uh, we know about in history, that we've seen in history, the history that we know of, that we accept, that we've been taught, but that there is an alternative history. You know, the many worlds concept that uh, physicists and cosmologists um, often speak of,
2: you know. Yeah,
1: the the multiverse. uh, The multiverse. yeah, Yeah. The multiverse, right beside. Right beside our world, there is a Tony and a William um uh, talking on the phone, you know, um, to thousands of listeners um, right now about the same kinds of things, you know. Um, and, and we don't know that, but, you know, the, po- the possibilities and the potentials for all those kinds of things um, in a world without end, amen, is limitless. Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm.
0: Um, you know, as as someone who's been around the block and you've done a lot of different things, uh, let me ask you this. Have you gotten to the point where you have attended, you know, any of the, you know, the, like the science fiction conventions or, or comic conventions or anything like that? to To you know meet more creatives or, or you know just to investigate the lay of the land, because i I'm, I'm very new to that landscape. It's only been the last couple years that I've started going to conventions like that and participating in their programs. do you you know you You press the flesh of a lot of people anyway with all yeah. of the things that you did up until your retirement. And I'm not sure what you've done for the last few years, but I, I can't imagine somebody like you just sitting on your porch telling, you know, hollering at kids to get the hell off your lawn. Um, <laughs>
2: well,
0: but but you, see, you know what I'm saying. You know, I, yeah, I'm I finding do. more like people. And, and I'll tell you the coolest thing, and, and you've now become a participant of my cool thing. My cool thing is I've gotten to do this show for these many years and every time i go to one of these conventions somebody comes up to me and i don't know who they are you know i don't recognize them or anything and the first thing they say is hi i'm so and so you interviewed me on the show and wow. that's the best part of my life at you know as as a creative and because yeah, yeah, yeah. even though i'm a writer even though i'm a filmmaker that, mm-hmm. You know, you and I are going to bump heads. We're going to run into each other face to face someplace, and for me, I that's going to gonna be the coolest thing. It's going to be the yeah. coolest thing because, you know, you you bitched about two hours. I know you didn't say you bitched about it, and I know you said it was okay. But shit, yeah. two hours seems like a long time, but it's not, is it? Because we're almost done.
2: Man, now, you I know, know what I mean? we're three right. we're three quarters
0: done. And, yeah. and we haven't, we, we barely scratched the surface. But then, if I run into you, let's say in Atlanta at some, some convention or something like that, we, we're going to take hours to sit there, maybe grab a meal, and talk about all the cool things that make us creatives and all the cool things that have influenced us and the people we know and stuff like that. That's a community. That, yes, it that has mm-hmm. excited me to such an extent that makes me give up my Friday nights every damn week, you know?
1: So, it's totally justified, too, because and I've listened to the show um, several times and enjoyed it um, and learned a lot from your interviews with people. Um, you're very good at what you do, and you know what you're talking about, and it's a pleasure uh, for me to you. be here having a, a, a wonderful discussion with you Um, But to your question, um, I have attended uh, several of those um, conventions, conferences, Comic-Con type things. Um, The first one that I ever attended was at Spelman University about mm, maybe five years ago when Tanana Crew had chair there, and it was a symposium, a three-day symposium on uh, Octavia Butler and the new, the new Black Sci-Fi, and uh, and I just, you know, I said, well, I'm going to go check this out, so, you know, I caught a plane and went down to Atlanta, had a hotel room, and Attended all three days, and you know, uh, had a great time. Met a lot of really wonderful people, um, uh, including Tanana Reeve and uh, Nanetti Okorafor I hope I'm saying her name right. Um, Okorofor, yeah. Okorofor, I think that's
0: right. Yeah, a
1: brilliant, brilliant new light uh, on in the sci-fi world um, who combines um, African Americans' pers- perspectives um, with continental African consciousness in her stories and I'm just so fascinated with that because I love that kind of thing and I adore Octavia Butler I actually got to meet her Uh, you know working in media you get to meet a lot of people and I actually met her Um, In Washington DC and booked her when I was a producer at National Public Radio uh, on a program called PowerPoint um, which was a weekly two-hour show um, uh, focusing on African American news culture um, uh, different items from the African diaspora and news from the African continent and um, always a wonderful show and she was a great guest on the show uh, Octavia Butler and so honored to have her and what a loss, you know, for the genre and our culture uh, when she ascended into the ancestor world, Um, but she has such a huge huge legacy in such a short time you know Um, and she's a major influence for me in my writing um, along with Isaac Asimov and Arthur C. Clarke and Frank Heinlein and Chip Delaney um, and all the shows that you mentioned the Outer Limits the Twilight Zone Star Trek with its themes of cosmic diversity and most of the iterations of that series that followed. And Stargate, which I love, and Alien Oh and Alien. man, that was excellent.
0: That was excellent. Yeah.
1: And and T V Stargate sg one, which I love, man. I binge on that all the time. It's so good.
0: <laughs> you know, and
1: it's so under underappreciated, you know, I mean, it was a hit show when it was on, but it still got chops, you know, I mean, I watched that show online uh, as often as I can, I just love it, and I'm always seeing something that I missed, you know, during the time when it was on, a, on television, you know, on a regular basis, uh, because sure. you can control, you can control your programming online, that's one of the things that I really love about this new world, but we've got so many You know, there's so much out here right now. There's a literal explosion of black science fiction with authors who've led the way like Octavia Butler and Tananarive Du and Nanetti Okorofor, And we've got some prolific newbies out here like Milton Davis and John Jeffers and N.K. Jemison and Balakun uh, Ojitadi, I hope I'm saying his name right. And new doors being opened in Hollywood and all over the world following the global success uh, and entree into the Billionaires Club of Marvel, Marvel's Black Panther. You know, so much is going on. This is a really great time, for instance, for you to be doing your show, uh, promoting and provoking uh, consciousness with the themes that you do uh, under, you know, science fiction and black sci-fi. Um, so this is really great for all of us who really love working in this field, working in this genre. It's really superb, and I'm so happy to be a part of it, even, you know, as a latecomer to it. Um, but, you know, I have so much to offer and uh, so little time to squeeze it all out, you know, so I'm trying to be as prolific as I can. I recently developed a screenplay called Vector. Uh, it's the principal writer along with actor Clayton Leboeuf, Um and the script is presently in the hands of a renowned French Motion picture director Uzan Palsy, um, who directed Marlon Brando and Michael Caine uh, in A Dry White Mm -hmm. Season* and many other uh, excellent films. She's primarily working in Europe now, but she loved the story of Vector, which takes place in post-earthquake Haiti. Um, So, uh, you know, hopefully that will be something that we see uh, begin to manifest in 2019, 2020 sometime. But I'm really focusing on the personalized writing, wanting to get novels and short stories out there. Um, and even, uh, you know, I had a concept for a, a sci-fi opera, you know. Um, I had to, put, had to table that because it was, it was so complex, you know, it was just taking me so many different places. Um, but I may get back to that sometime.
0: When, when you, um, you know, since, since now you've, you sound a little bit like you're, you know, yes, you have other things, but you're settling into getting getting more solidly behind your writing. Can you talk yes. a little bit about your process? Um, do you, you know, are you the kind of person who who outlines your your work? Do your stories come, you know, fully fleshed out, unbidden to your head since you feel more like a conduit than a creator?
2: Um, mm-hmm. You know,
0: how, how, how does all of that work for you? You know, when you well, sit that, okay, the, let's say you hang up, yeah. yeah, let's say you hang up the phone with me, and then all mm-hmm. of a sudden, what happens next if you think you're going to yeah. be taking that step into creativity?
1: Yeah, lightning bolts, um, blue lights, you know, from the heavens. Um, yeah. Visitations from the muse. Um, with me, it's different because I've been dreaming about working and and being a contributor in this world of science fiction and fantasy writing for more than fifty years. Um, okay. So. I've had all of that time to work out stories and themes and characters and and ways of being for all these characters and the interconnection not only in the stories that they're part of but with other stories that I write so that I create a universe that is interconnected and storyline. So I've had all of this time to think about all of that the, 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 the big challenge for me now is to put everything in line and just crank things out, you know, because all the ideas are there. The muses have really infused me with everything down to the level of the marrow in my bones where I, I believe the ancestral worlds exist. Our ancestors are still alive in us or else we wouldn't be here. Um, so I take people into those worlds, into the worlds, Within and visit those places and those people in their time, as well as the time of the external person in our real time, where the influences of the ancestors impact our everyday lives and even you mm-hmm. know in ways that we may not understand or realize, um, but we do find ourselves having incredibly strange, odd, uh, brilliant. Crazy razor's edge thoughts, you know, that turn into actions. So for me, the, the 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 years thinking about this and the desire to want to be in this world, um, and and now being retired from television news production and as an executive uh, in media, uh, for instance, I was the press secretary for Congresswoman Maxine Waters for three years, doing the crack cocaine. Era, And that was just a horrific period for her, And um, but the culmination and expose of what, you know, the federal government, the crimes being committed by the federal government in uh, communities of color with crack and guns and all that kind of mess, and she was very brave to be able to do that, and I was working my ass off for, for her, you know. Um, And it was easy for me to get her in the news and booked on programs, you know, because people wanted her uh, because she was so vocal. But, uh, you know, Teen Summit, my program that I created at Black Entertainment Television, that gave me the platform to be able to talk with black teens and also to give them a futuristic view. I did um, uh, one show that was focused on science and a vignette where a scientist, a black scientist from the future, came and visited the set, you know. But leading up to that, had a wonderful little video with um, special effects that I created, uh, working with a wonderful editor at BET. Um, you know, it, we had movement and spaceships and all kinds of stuff. You know, this, I use uh, blue screen. You know, this was way ahead of its time, you know, um, but uh-huh. all the time. Weeks were there because I'd worked in television, and I knew the capability of blue screen just because, you know, I was a producer at news, and blue screen is used in sports and weather. So I flipped it and used it to create something that would uh, influence our kids in terms of giving them a sense of wanting to get into science. One of the things that I'm doing right now, William, is uh, developing uh, a new show, which is spin spinoff of Teen Summit called the 21st Century Crew. And the 21st Century Crew is a narrative show, a series um, that uh, uses um, science fiction as the Trojan horse to promote STEM. STEM education, and it takes place <laughs> Good. at a, a, charter, a charter school um, in the black community uh, in Baltimore, Baltimore City where I live right now. Um, it's a charter school called the Einstein Banneker Academy of Mathematics and Science. And so these kids are all street kids, but they're brilliant. Kids in terms of mathematics and and uh, and and and, uh, and science, um, and they have a teacher who is a uh, uh, he grew up in the hood. He's come back. He works for NASA, but he works three days a week at the uh, at the school teaching um, uh, mathematics and science, and uh, and these kids do something phenomenal that he challenges them because he's he's really. They've really just gotten on his last nerve with their street behavior, but when it comes down to schoolwork, they are on point 100%. But he's trying to bring them to a happy medium of behavior, and he challenges them to do something that's never been done in science before, and they create something um, really quite astounding that blows his mind, um, and uh, using digital technology. Um, so. These are the kind of things that I'm working on. You know, everything that I'm doing right now has a focus on science fiction, um, except uh, for my work now coming out of retirement to produce the Rock Newman Show at WHUT TV 32, Howard University's PBS affiliated station. Rock Show is the flagship show of WHUT Channel 32 in Washington, D.C. So I commute from Baltimore to, um, uh, to Washington uh, once a week to produce a show. I work from home doing that. And it keeps me, you know, uh, keeps my production chops up because ultimately what I really want to focus on, you know, and which Rock, who I love, he's just such a brilliant interviewer. Um, he knows how to ask the hard questions in a nice way. Um, you're very good at that yourself um and uh, he's a, a brilliant gentleman and uh, he, he worked in uh, boxing in, in the in the world of boxing he was riddick bow's uh manager for years became a multi-millionaire uh when he became world champion but he uh-huh. wanted to get out of that world because it was so filled in his words with criminal behaviors and um you know as a howard graduate he made a proposal to the to the station and they brought a show on um he'd been doing it online and they brought a show as a major feature of their production uh uh, content and um uh, i i joined the show about three
0: months ago and you know the sky's the limit wow that sounds great um and and but you know this this doesn't surprise me i don't see you as as I said, I don't see you as the guy, you know, on the porch in the rocking chair hollering at the kids. You know, you're... you're no, that my, that'll I be my... <laughs> well, I, all right, I'm not going to lie. My dream job, uh, Otis Redding actually said, uh, sang about it. I, I would love to sit on the dock of the bay watching the tide roll away. But, you know, yeah. nobody's paying for that anymore. Um, so... Right how how soon well no that i guess that's the wrong question, but do you see your creative writing output um the, the the scheduling of it and and the appearance of it um what how 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 prolific do you think you're gonna end up being seeing as how you have so many different kinds of um uh, irons in the fire, you know, so to speak. You know, are yeah. are we going to be able to see something from you every year? Um, are you thinking in terms of uh, uh, full fledged novels? You've got the screenplay that's out there already. Um, mm-hmm. What what are you looking at? You know, if we if we if you come back, um, and it should be before and then, but let's say five years down the road, where yeah. where do you see yourself being? You know, five years from now, what do you think might happen in the intervening years or what do you want to have have happen in the intervening years?
1: Okay, great, great, great. Um, One of the things that I definitely see is a motion picture um, vector uh, being produced. Um, Black Panther really kind of ramped up the potentials and possibilities for that to happen. On the level of production Uh, excellence that I want to see it occur. Um, And then I want to have at least five years from now, I want to at least be able to look back and see three novels of mine um, published uh, and welcomed successfully in the marketplace. Um, and, um, And short stories, you know, a whole gaggle of those, you know, just to keep the name out there. And, uh, and share my ideas and, and concepts um, which are, you know, fairly weird and psychopathic, as you said earlier, um, in, in a sense So creativity. Just, I'm, I'm just not afraid to write, you know, things that people would say, oh, man, how do you even think of that? You know, but, you know, so many people have come before you and I who have already tread that ground. So it's not really virgin territory. It's just that, you know, these are new feet. Taking the journey, and that's what I'm bringing. So three, five years from now, you know, uh, a few novels, a movie, um, maybe a television series. Um, the the STEM sci-fi show for kids. It's an educational show. Going to teach them about science and math and and technology and engineering, um, and so forth. And um, you know, and just. Really, what the the real issue, the conundrum of issues, you know, for me right now is just the discipline of focusing on one thing at a time, you know. Because I will begin writing, and then I'll have another idea that doesn't fit what I'm writing, and I'll begin to write that, you know. And so I have all of these different, you know, kind of fruits in this cornucopia, but. You know, and a cornucopia can contain all kinds of fruit, but the real sure. thing is the corn copia itself, the thing holding the fruit. And that's what I want to, you know, that's what I've really begun to discipline myself over the last three years is to be the cornucopia itself, not just the fruits, because the fruits will spill forth from the cornucopia, but you have to discipline yourself as a creative person, you know, to harness that mind, you know? So I, what I do is I think of Ben-Hur when Ben-Hur was racing with those four horses and, uh, uh, in the movie um, when he uh, inter- exchanges uh, or it interconnects with that uh, the Arab uh, horse t- trader and he's watching uh, his charioteer race them and they're running off the track they're really winning but they run off the track and what he did was rearrange the placement of the horses so that the strength of each and the swiftness of each supported each other and that's what I've learned to do
0: mm-hmm mm-hmm and and uh, I did I forgot to ask you this but um I I got the thing about the movie that that, that that's going to be a uh, administrative collaboration but do you see yourself maybe doing any kind of creative collaboration you know do do you are there people out there who who you look at and you go hmm, I, I, you know, I kind of like to work with that, or you know, you mentioned, or, or even like you mentioned Milton Davis. Um, he's got you know a couple different creative universes out there where he's invited other people to come and write in those universes. He he yeah. graciously invited me to be in his latest dark universe um, uh, anthology. But I mean, do you you know, do you see? you know do do you see yourself as more of a singular creative or do you think that there is some room for you to 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 branch out or or is it kind of too early to tell
1: um well it's a little bit of all three of those things um i think that as someone who is really just you know um you know finding nativity in sci-fi that uh, i'm open you know to collaboration Um, and the guidance of a person uh, whose creativity I would respect um, because I know that they respect mine. So I'm open to that. Um, At the same time, um, I'm kind of a lone wolf in my real life, you know. Um, I'm very social, but I, I don't mind being at home, you know, and that's where I write. Um, so, I spend a lot of time in solitude um studying reading um and writing um and and looking at sci fi movies and and series you know and and seeing what's out there what's what's new what's coming what's being done what's been done and um you know so so you know i I kind of combine everything that you said you know I'm open to working with other people, absolutely because I know that teamwork is really golden, and that's one of the things I learned you know as a as a young athlete. Um, and uh, even in the Army, that really promoted that, you know, the sense of teamwork. And then, even when I got right. into um, television or advertising, that was all about teamwork, too. You can't do everything yourself. You know, if you want to be a success, you bring your excellence and you tie your excellence with that of other people, you know, and that's how we succeed, and that's how we drive a movement. Um, and create a momentum for um, something that transforms society and culture. And, and I really do want to be a part of that.
0: Wow. And, and then, you know, just to let you know, we're, we're down to the last maybe 10 minutes or so, but one of the things that I'm curious about is if if you – if you think ab- over your entire creative career, you know the different things that you've done creatively what what do you think is probably the most significant thing that you've learned that you'd like to pass on or at least tell other people about what was you know if you can if you can quantify something that was pretty darn significant that you can just pull out and say, "Well, this is the thing um what What would you tell would be? the The most significant experience, the most ex- uh, significant uh event or something like that, that has happened in your creative career.
1: Okay um, makes or me is think of Cros- <laughs> no it's not too big. Um, it makes me think of the old Crosby Stills and Nash song um, Teach your children well um, Yes. And I'm really focused on that, you know. um, One of the things that I really wanna be remembered for is reaching out to youth, young people, and, um, and being a cheerleader for their intellect and daring them to be bold and brave and smart all at once, um, and I was able to do that when I created the Teen Summit show at BET, and the things that I, I intend to do now um, that are spinoffs of that time and that show. Um, Teen Summit, I think, was uh, of all the things that I've done, William. I think that was that stands as the the personal, uh, given me the personal sense of achievement. Um, an accomplishment, because it wasn't just about doing great television, award-winning television, it was actually about making a difference, using your creative mind to do so, and seeing the actual results of that reflected in audience, and, um, and, and the kids who were participants in the show, um, demonstrating that um, they had the capacity to communicate with their peers, um, in a way that uh, folks like you and I did naturally when we were growing up, you know. So it really it was so encouraging and so beautiful to see that and to shepherd that and be a part of it. And and that out that stands out for me as one of my favorite things that I have been a part of in my creative and media career. Um, mm-hmm. Beyond that, beyond that, um, the sense that I'm now actually writing science fiction. I'm living my dream. This is the thing that I've always wanted to do, and I'm actually doing it and being appreciated for it. I got invited on this program because I'm fully committed now to be a part of this world, and, and I'm, there's no turning back. You know, So I'm gonna give it all that I have. I got a lot to give, and uh, I want people to, um, to, see, to, to be able to look into my mind and my worldview and see themselves there um, as well as uh, who their ancestors were and are and who their future children uh, will be and can be based on the way we think now and the things that we do right now to assure that they do have that future, which spins all the way back around full circle to Afrofuturism. For me, Afrofuturism uh, spins back to my initial uh, concept of not seeing black people in the future. I think of Afrofuturism as assuring
0: that we are in the future. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, that, that, that it's an inclusive future.
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. 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 Um, you know, it's, it, I think that you're in for a great experience that I don't know if you've had much of it now, but one of the things that I've really enjoyed um, having become a creator and, and even doing this show to, to a certain mm-hmm. extent is being able or, or having the opportunity not being able, having the opportunity for people to To come to me and either talk about my work and what it meant to them or what they thought about it yes. or to have people come to me and say, you know, I was thinking about what you did or what, you know, something I said or, you know, someone was on the show and it made me think about, and then they've got this whole new vista ahead of them because it opened them up creative, creatively. and And mm-hmm. that... To me, that that is that's very fulfilling. That's very it's very gratifying um, for two reasons. First of all, I, I'm happy to know that giving up my Fridays has meant something other than you know some sort of vanity project for me, which it's not really a vanity project. It's more of a pain in the ass. Um, but but uh, and 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 the other part is. Is meeting people like you, who without this opportunity, without doing this show, never would have happened, or or the chances of it happening would have been so remote as to not even count on it, or to not even mention it. Do you know what I'm saying?
2: I understand. <laughs>
0: Excuse me. So, so when you, I think that as you go along, as you produce more more things as more of your projects come to fruition i think that one of the really cool things that i hope to see happen to you is for you to have not only the satisfaction but the delight of of people approaching you and saying you know you uh, you touched me in this way or you made a difference and and um, you know i i don't have that a lot but when it does happen it's it's pretty cool. And I'll tell you the the one coolest thing and I've remembered this, uh, in uh, November eighth of two thousand ten. November mm-hmm. eight, yes, November eighth of two thousand ten, I was at Walgreens to get a prescription refilled. Okay. And, you know, first First, she says, uh, uh, the, the, the woman says, okay, what's your birth date? And I give her my birth date. And she said, okay, and your name? I said, William Hayashi. And she said, are you William Hayashi, the author?
2: Oh, wow. Dude, uh... as we sit
0: here, you see I remember the date.
2: I yes. remember the date. Yeah, so man. That,
0: that, was, that was such, that was like the coolest thing. Because my first book only came out in 2009. And for someone to even say that, it it, you know, I was I was taken, my mind was blown,
2: but it, man, like, it, it did freak me out. out.
0: It did freak yeah. me out. You know, are you William Hayashi yeah. the author? And I'm yeah. thinking, oh, well, there maybe there's another William Hayashi author. Well, there there's about uh, eight William Hayashis here in Chicago. Okay, uh, really? two of us are. Yeah, yeah, they're too, you know, and and none of us, well, at least I'm not related to any of them, let's put it that okay. way, I don't know if any of the others okay. are related, but, but it's a fairly common name, well, you know, Hayashi is like the Johnson of Japan, and okay. uh, William is a fairly common name, but but to have someone ask me that, that really, that made my life, man. And, and it's a day I'll never forget. And, you know, I see nothing but really cool experiences like that for you ahead. Because, you know, first of all look, at all, look at your body of work till until now. You know, you've got people who will go, oh, yeah, you produced this or you did that or whatever. And then now you're getting to do your, and I'm, I'm doing the air quotes, your dream job. Yes. And you have nothing but personal i mean extremely personal accolades to come, so I wish you the best man and and I am extremely gratified and very happy to have met you. Um, this has been a great time and and i'm I'm going to ask the the you know the know-it all question, but it did seem like two hours. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, man, you were right, you know, and I and I know this, you know, and I knew it from working in media, you know, that time sure. really flies, you know, but I've always been the kind of person who's been behind the scenes, so you know, for me to be in, in on the carpet so to speak, um, for two hours is really um really different and um Uh, really excellent you know I've enjoyed this very much it's really put some things in perspective Um, it's helped me to focus even more on my intentions and um, you know and I've I've shared some things that I don't talk to anybody about really because most of the people that I interact with are people in media so we're just talking about the next show um, or yeah. even as, a, as a retired person from that world, um, but doing a, a weekly show um, for a university's television station, um, very limited uh, exchange except with uh, the host, Rock Newman, who's just a really awesome cat. But beyond that, um, it's all about, you know, getting my ideas into my laptop and um, and researching things and looking at history and inner interconnecting historical events with something that is transformational down the timeline of genetic flow. That's my story. Yeah. That's, those are my story concepts. So all of this discussion tonight has been very helpful for me in terms of the actual vocal expression of what's in the mind of my heart. And you've made my heart
0: shine <laughs> Oh man, thank you so much. Um, I I admit it was all accidental on my part. Uh, you know, I uh, sometimes I, I'm doing the show by the seat of my pants, but but I, I will say this: I am always gratified when I find a, a kindred spirit, and we do get to talk about you know some pretty substantial things because th- there's so much going on, and to yeah, have someone have. True have a singular awareness of what's going on is always pretty cool for me because then then there's no limit to where we can go conversationally you know what I'm saying no,
1: that's right absolutely absolutely
0: <laughs> well look uh for those of you out there who missed it this is Tony uh and, and I said uh uh Regus what, how, what I, I forgot how, yeah Regustus? yeah,
1: Regustus. Uh-huh.
0: and uh, and he has been our special guest for today and and I'm not kidding when I say I am really, really, really looking forward to the time where we meet face-to-face. Hopefully, we can informally kind of keep track because if you go to a convention that I'm at or vice versa, I I definitely want to carve out some time because that's going to be fun. Um, I haven't been to anything much on the – oh, wait, I take it all back. I'm in Boston every February. For mm-hmm. or at least for the last three years, for Boscon, they have okay. the uh, mm-hmm. their their long running science fiction convention up there. I'm due there this February again, um, and then next year, next year I'm 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 going to be all over. I'm going to be in Portland, Oregon. I'm going to be down in Atlanta a couple of times, and I I I do hope I get to run into you. So well, it's maybe been a pleasure I'll,
1: I'll, talking to you. Maybe I'll boogie up to Boston we can we can connect up there. But this has been a great, great two hours for me. Um and I appreciate you and your brilliance and you know, just the the way that you conduct your interviews. It's been so good, so
0: great. Stop, stop, you make me blush. Anyway. <laughs> Anyway, um, for those of you who have picked this show up live, thank you for being here. And those of you who picked this up as a podcast, again, thank you for picking us up and supporting BlackScienceFictionSociety.com and specifically the Genesis radio uh, program, science fiction radio program. Um, on behalf of Jarvis, because he's not on the line or anything, I'm going to close out the show. For those of you who are interested the Earth Squadron movie, BlackScienceFictionSociety.com Earth Squadron movie is still moving forward. We're hoping to have a really cool trailer out for, if not, uh, some substantial uh, film for Dragon Con next, I guess that's next Labor Day, uh, Labor Day 2019. In the meantime, keep an eye out at the, on the site for some updates on that. Jarvis has planned some changes to BlackScienceFictionSociety.com. Take a look at those because they're always improvements. They're not, it's not all of a sudden something, oh, he's taking something away or, ooh, we're going to be missing that. Um, again, thank every, I want to thank everybody who supports the show, who does show up, who, uh, who at least uh, let me know they're listening. Thank you for being here. And uh, Tony, once again, thank you for showing up and giving up your Friday night. And we will have a, uh, another show for you probably next Friday. So on behalf of BlackScienceFictionSociety.com, have a great weekend. Thank you. Hold on, Tony.
2: Okay.